I'm Casey Lanko. And I'm Tim Johansson. And welcome to Psychology at Work. Welcome to this special edition of the Psychology at Work podcast. Special because we're going to try to stay focused today. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be harder for me. I'm going to start with, this will be reminiscent for the longtime listeners. This is how we used to start in season one. Oh, I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm going to quiz Tim here. Yes. So (laughs) the answer, we'll do a Jeopardy round. Okay. Is... 10.4 times greater than pay and compensation. Ooh. What is the primary driver of employees leaving the job post-pandemic? That is correct. So we'll we'll circle back to that, but to set the stage again. So, you know, you've, you've, you've been living... Not in the world, if you haven't heard or read or been inundated with thoughts and hot takes about the great resignation, oh, and people yeah. call it all kinds of things, and some people are convinced it's not real. Um, other people see the data and see that indeed millions of people, mm-hmm. um, record breaking numbers, have been leaving their jobs uh, really um, since the pandemic. And we haven't really talked much about this. We've talked about sort yeah. of some of the likely psychological implications mm-hmm. of of the pandemic and uh, all the isolation and whatnot that came from it. But we haven't touched too much on this this idea of the Great Resignation. But wanted to take today to talk a little bit about it. But that's not really the focus of of the right that and stuff. But wanted to set up our real topic with this data. Yeah, and. Donald Sowell, Charles Sowell, and Ben Zweig, hopefully I'm saying that right, it's either Zweig or Zweig, they uh, published in the MIT Sloan Management Review, and we'll certainly post a link to it in the show notes, earlier this year, what we thought was just profoundly compelling data. It's something like 34 million data points that they analyzed, really looking at this basically, why is it? that people are leaving in these record numbers. And that 10.4 number is, I think I said it in the initial answer, which is how we phrase the Jeopardy question, (laughs) 10.4 times greater than pay. Yeah. And then benchmarked it against pay. It's since the advent of money been (laughs) the number one cited reason. By organizations. And that one tends to come up as the number one cited reason. Yet, study after study after study after study, pre-pandemic, whatever, has found that the actual underlying drivers of why people leave and why they stay, pay doesn't even rank in the top 15. That people leave because of pay. And we couldn't pay them enough. Right. So then that's sort of the number one cited reason by organizations about why did their people leave? Well, we didn't have enough to pay them. We couldn't pay them a competitive salary. Right. And yet when we look at the underlying drivers, when we look at the data from this study, 
right? Whether that's employee exit surveys, whether that's performance reviews, attitudes, values, personality traits, all these underlying things, pay doesn't even rank in the top 15. In fact, the the number one, overwhelmingly number one predictor of people leaving, basically, yeah. is what we've been talking about for almost 15 years. So yeah. the data is extremely invalidated. Right. And it's toxic workplace culture. Yeah. And Ten again, times more predictive. Don't shortchange it. 10.4. 10.4 times more predictive of people leaving. And just for additional context, right? So that's number one at 10.4 times greater than pay. The, the second one just beneath that comes in at 3.5 times greater than pay, right? Yeah. So, so even from the, the biggest predictor to the second biggest, it's there's not a massive close. gap, right? Yeah. Toxic workplace culture yeah. is the hugest single biggest contributor yep. to turnover. Yep. In this post pandemic world. Yes. And I would prior, probably prior to it. And I think yeah. this kind of helps explain really the individual psychology of, of people and what's going on on that individual level Yeah, is that post pandemic people on an individual basis are making the choice and saying, I'm not willing to stay yes. in a toxic environment. And they get into what is toxic here. And I think we can kind of dig into that a bit, but these are interpersonal factors. These are psychologically toxic factors. Yeah. And they're not sort of, you know, task-based. Well, this, you know, my job is inconvenient that I have to do it this way or whatever. No. These are personal. Very human here. Yeah. Yeah. Very human. Should we just touch? Should we touch on shadowing a bit? Yeah, Yeah, right. Exactly. Should we do in every other? Sure. Do you want to be even or odd? Well, I already know that question. (laughs) (laughs) You go first. (laughs) So when we talk about this idea of toxic workplace culture, which is without question, hands down, the biggest predictor of whether people leave, then the next question is, well, what does that mean? Yeah. How do we what sort is, of is operationalize workplace culture? And yeah. This research that we're referring to really kind of put it around five operationalized types of behaviors. The first one, exclusionary. And that gets right at the heart of all of the DEI work, right? So <laughs> people feel right. that because of who they are, some aspect of them results in them being excluded from projects or simply feeling like they belong in the organization. And to the point that you just made, Tim, a lot of people through this past two years have realized it's not worth staying in a place that that is exclusionary to you. Yeah. Next one, disrespectful. There you go. Pretty simple, but I want to highlight respect is a very human construct. It's a very human construct. I see what you're doing here. Yes. That's good. The next one, uh, also pretty common sense, is unethical behaviors, particularly from leadership, right? So yeah, questionable decisions, things right. of that nature that makes people uncomfortable. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
that that idea of observing and perhaps complicitly participating in things that go against your values. Yes. It's just less likely to be okay. Yes. I love that. What is cheating? It's going against my stated value. Fourth one, I, I think this word is funny. Cutthroat. Yeah. Ooh. There's a violence to that. Oh, there is, isn't there? Cutthroat. Like, yeah. Well, and it's, I, th- it's th- I think of this willingness to do just about anything to someone else in order to get something that I want to get. And that's absolutely how they operationalize mm-hmm. in the research. The last one then is perhaps the, I think the thing that at least I tend to think about most because of the work that we do with coaching and helping these types of situations is abusive managers. Mm. Yeah. Which of course is hallmark to toxicity. And I actually just want to offer a note of gratitude and appreciation that they used the word abusive. Oh, I know. A lot of times it's It's not sensational. We can't can't go there. You know, that's a little. No, it's not. It's not. And it it doesn't even mean that people are being intentional to do it, but it it happens. And it's really important to to call it out. So Uh, harm from power, harm done from power. Abuse. I'm glad you said it that way, Um, because it is all about as someone who has power in an organization. Right. What do I do with it? Right. And, you know, it most takes people aren't right. given the training and, and help to know what to do with it. And so very yeah. quickly it, it becomes abused. So that's all the negative stuff that <laughs> predicts well, people leave and we can talk about that. But I, and I think it's helpful to lay that out because it gives a really clear framework yeah. of what can we create? What can we focus on? Right? What can what can we put our creative shared talents and energy toward? And if we put it toward creating a healthy culture, we can see and likely realize a, a tenfold return on our retention efforts. And I think if we're that's focusing the place on to, the right things. I think that's yeah. the place where so many people are sitting, which is okay, I know I don't want that. I know I don't want to be in that. I don't want yeah. to be a part of that. Yeah. But so I'm gonna go this way, but what where do I go? Way? Yeah, what, right. what do I right. do? So it, I, I know not to do those things, but what do right. I yeah? And it isn't just focus on pay them, pay people more or do the, you know, do those. We we can do that and that can be helpful, but how do we create a healthy workplace culture? I want to say one thing first, when we look at these issues, this isn't actually a workforce issue. People tend to contextualize this. Well, this is a workforce issue. This is actually a human issue, right? When we think about any group of people, any culture, and culture is any two people. <laughs> when we look at any relationship, we can bring it down to the one-on-one. Exclusionary, disrespectful, unethical, cutthroat, abusive. What's the, what's the healthy side of that? And we've actually created a whole conference around this framework. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. Basically, kind of a preview uh, of what is the Humanity at Work conference and how does it kind of fit in this space of responding to this great resignation, responding to this increased awareness and um well i don't know if it's fair to say uh rejection of (laughs) toxic workplace cultures which what a wonderful first step right right and and we hear from people in organizations all the time now that say yes we know that's not great we can't do that we can't be that but how do do we now what do we do and so what we've put together with the Humanity at Work conference is hopefully um, <laughs> some thoughtfulness around in a couple of days, w- what's some content that can help people understand from an individual perspective yeah. what they can do as yep. a human yep. at work and meaning in the context of any group, right? Yeah. To contribute to cultivating a healthier culture. Yeah. And so, and so what really can I do as an individual to help call, what's my role, right? And every single individual, regardless of your title, regardless of how much power you do or don't have, what's my role in cultivating a culture that is inclusive, that is respectful, that is ethical, that is collaborative and then of course foundationally that is psychologically safe and those sort of five things are really the opposite of the five things that define a toxic culture so at the humanity at work conference well let me ask you tim what are you most excited for oh my gosh i don't know if i can pick one can i I just say one thing that comes comes to mind our integration of the the different dimensions of of how we know things and how those map onto these kind of five antidotes right inclusion respect ethical collaborative psychologically safe that is understood on the emotional level yeah on that felt connected spiritual level on that physical level. And so one of the things we've done in laying the conference out is paid real close attention to how can we integrate these different dimensions of knowing into this content. And so what we were just doing right before this podcast, we actually did six minutes of our own breath work mm-hmm. and boy, that was fascinating. It's powerful and stuff so powerful and i'm just kind of scraping the surface of getting into the physical dimension of how can we kind of bring health into our workplace cultures but one of the things we've got throughout the whole conference it's all two and a half three days is integrated breath work at different points and different exercises throughout so i'm really excited for myself to go through that process and then engage with the really dynamic, rich content that we also have lined up. Absolutely. And and 
I want to talk through some of the, the sessions just to give folks a sense of what some of that content is. But one more thing, just in terms of general format, in addition to what you're talking about, we, we've been really intentional to work with all of the different presenters and panelists to say, we don't want to give people an experience where they just have to go and sit there and listen to you ramble for an hour. Right. That's right. just intellectually <laughs> sit no, down and you. consume. And we went round and round on the word conference even. Right, right. <laughs> but really to 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 this to be an experience. And yeah. so it's going to be experiential, right? Of course, there'll be content delivered. So the speakers will be presenting yeah. information. But you'll be invited to engage in that conversation, both in, in, in the large group as well as in smaller groups. Um, there'll be a variety of reflection exercises and activities. Right. So, so really an experience that incorporates, to Tim's point, all those dimensions of, of knowing in our body, intellectual, emotional, um, to really hopefully have an experience that that moves the dial a little bit on, on how people are thinking and showing up once I'm excited for all the sessions, obviously. And I'm not just saying that because it feels like we have to, but um, they all are going to have a a different sort of impact with, of course, this uniting focus of of humanity at work. But I I will say, so Dr. Elizabeth Fleming colleague of ours is going to be doing a session on a topic that I f- have always found just implicitly yes. and explicitly fascinating. Yes. Uh, and it, it involves basically these two ideas of power. Yep. And then psychological safety. Ooh. And, you know, we, I think way back in season one, we did a two part series on power. Yeah. And the bases I know of power are loaded. They are so yes. loaded. And I actually just um, assigned that to a coaching client of mine and, and she responded already. And she's like, okay, I get why you had me listen to these. Right. Um, <laughs> I find in almost all of my, with my, all my coaching clients, these conversations that I have with them around understanding their power and they're both their personal yeah. power, which is who they are. How do you leverage yep. that to be authentic? But then also their positional power, which is right. just because you have this title now, yeah. you, you instantly have all this power. Right. right. And it makes people uncomfortable and they don't often yeah. like it and they don't know what to right. do with it. And most people are not given the tools and resources to have right. even a construct for what what's happening there. That's that fifth factor, right? Abuse by managers. It's not it's so much of it is a lack of understanding of what power is and means in, in the symbolic nature of it. And when you have it and mess ups happen, there's a different psychological impact. And so Dr. Elizabeth's session is really geared toward how do we take the power that we have, how do we first understand it, but then how do we pair it with creating a psychologically safe space for all of our people and our team to contribute or make attempts or try things or participate to their fullest. And so super exciting Thursday morning kickoff session. 
So sort of both this exploration of your own power. And again, it doesn't matter what your role is in the organization. You do have some. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Because there's different kinds of power. Yeah. You know, Elizabeth will get Didn't into all that. that. Yeah. But then, you know, a question we get all the time is, you know, we've, we've reached the point now in the zeitgeist where the majority of organizations appreciate and know the importance of psychological safety. I mean, it is the, uh, what's that phrase? The bellwether. You could use that one. The competitive advantage. Yes. Right? Okay. So well documented. Right. But, and then again, it goes to, but how do we do it? Right. She's going to get into some yeah. very practical things that the next day you could start doing absolutely wherever you are. I kind of think of psychological safety as a foundation. Absolutely. And then how do we keep building on it? And this next concept that we have a whole session around is psychological freedom. Ooh. And that's super cool to, to kind of learn what that is. And is that our doctors, friends from Peak Mind? Yes, our friends from Peak Mind, doctors April Seifert, well, Dr. April Seifert and Dr. Ashley Smith, the AS twins. Yes. <laughs> right? They're not twins. But they're very fun. But their session is around is around boundaries. Oh my gosh. And boundaries as a key to psychological freedom. I kind of think of this as like the walls of the house getting built on top of this foundation. Yeah. And and in a very positive way. Yes. You know, so many times boundaries and even that idea of walls, right? There's just sort of a negative connotation, but it's the complete opposite. Right. And just they're to not kind wall, of right, they're not no, barriers. Well, they're in terms of the barrier mm-hmm. in, in a positive way is that you are your own person. Yes. And I'm my own person. Yes. And there actually is a distinction between us. Yeah. That's yeah. what a boundary, I think. Uh, I, that's why I think about boundary. Like, mm-hmm. I, there is this sort of field around me, if you will, which means that. I get to decide for myself what I'm going to do, what I want to do. And obviously, you know, within the context of work, we have job descriptions and things we're responsible for. But, you know, you you get to within that sense of who you are and your identity, you get to say yes and no to a variety of things. And you get to show people how you deserve to be respected. And when you aren't respected, you get to communicate that um, in a helpful way. You know, often in the coaching work I end up doing, I've found a pattern that for leaders who are maybe not as clear or as kind of skilled with boundary building at work, it's a reflection of their boundary setting and boundary identifying in their personal life. There's really, there's really not a distinction. Absolutely. And so a lot of the work I end up doing with executives and leaders, we, we do move more into, you know, where do these boundary setting patterns come from? Where did I learn them from? Right. And so. And gosh, don't they usually go back to early life? Yeah. You know, but from the degree of, of, some of these 
less helpful boundary setting patterns that I learned back then are showing up now. And kind of exploring where I learned them back then is super helpful to what do I do right now? So Dr. Seifert and Smith will be talking about boundaries as a key to psychological freedom. I will have a front row seat. And if you want a little preview of them, and I'll put um, actually Dr. Seifert, we did an episode. She has a podcast called Building Psychological Strength. Uh, We did an episode swap with her, I think last year. But this time, her podcast, Building Psychological Strength, if you want a little little preview of um, her amazing work, right? Oh, this next one. Now, are you thinking about the panel? The panel. Rock stars. (laughs) Yes. I mean, just that's a fair word. Yep. And let's set this one up because I think it's, I'm really. This this may be the thing I'm actually most excited for if I had to yeah. really pick, just because it involves a lot of people. We're going to get a lot of really valuable perspectives around a topic that doesn't, at least hasn't traditionally gotten enough attention. Mm-hmm. And I think needs to as a direct response to the great resignation, right? When we talk about these things exclusionary, disrespectful, abusive. Yeah. Often so much of that unintentionally or unconsciously centers around people not knowing what to do with their emotions at work. Yes. Too emotional. Because, but yes, because we, you know, we, we we have come to this, well not come to, it's been in existence for way too long. This idea that emotions are bad. There, here's one for you. That you know, being emotional at work is unprofessional. I came into your office the other day (laughs) and sabotaged you for like an hour around. Tell me what does professionally all this anyway? We can talk about that later, but but it fits in this, right? There is is a thing that you know that's unprofessional, you know, to to show emotion, or the other Um, one is sensitive. uh, Yes, you're being too sensitive, you're You're being being too too sensitive, all of it, and and. Let's be clear here. Now, this is a panel discussion, so it's not a formal presentation. Yeah. So, right. who, you know, who knows what's going to come up from people's different opinions and perspectives. Um, and we'll do a quick rundown of who the panelists will be here. But there's there's a middle ground, right? So it's not yeah. to say, well, I'm personally not advocating for everyone just to, you know, be having an emotional waterfall all day long. And, you know, however I'm feeling, that's what's going to dictate my behavior. Right. right? No, no, right. no. That's not you know, adults have the capacity to make a decision about what they're going to do with the emotional experience that they're having. Right. Um, But that's not to ignore it. It's to acknowledge it and be aware of it and understand, well, I'm having this emotional reaction and this is what I'd like to do with it, but this is what I want to do, you know, whatever they can do. And to see that, Perhaps I'm even previewing my contributions to this panel discussion (laughs) to see that as actually a valuable contribution Mm -hmm. to the work. Humans are emotional beings. There's just, there's no way around it, right? We can try to stuff it as much as we want. We can try to pretend that we don't make decisions based on emotions as much as we want, but it's just not true. It's just not true. So how do we harness them? 
Exactly. Really question. Exactly. If, when, you know, I, I just thought something. If if that were true, then emotional intelligence wouldn't be as predictive of as many things as I this. Know. Right? I just thought about that right now. Yeah. Like if emotions didn't matter and they weren't important and they weren't valuable, then emotional intelligence wouldn't predict all of the things that it does. They're like these super powerful packets of energy that are so harnessable and have so much insight into our experience that our intellect doesn't have. Right. That it behooves us to learn how to use them. I'm excited on this panel. Yes, please. (laughs) To hear people talk about, because you hear this out there in the media and on Twitter and all the things about, you know, this notion that you are in control of your emotions and your response, or you need to be, you need to control your emotions. You need to be, and you need to, and your emotion and your response to your emotion are separate things. Right. And we have full control over our response to our emotion. Yes. And I would even say this, the best way to get full control over our response to our emotion is to understand that the emotion yeah. is not something that we can control. Right. It's something that we can listen to and collaborate with, but we cannot control the emotion. That's the pathway to controlling the response. Anyway, off step my soapbox. Step one, box, step two, step one, step two. I'm excited to hear from our rock star panel. So, and just real quickly, many of them have been guests on the pod. Not all. Um, Rhonda Williams was one of our very first guests. um, She's a national treasure. International, even. International. She's doing some international work, Mm -hmm. um, executive coach, um, leader, all this stuff um, really focuses a lot on emotional intelligence. She'll be with us. We have, of course, Jane Schutte. Um, who has worked uh, again in the capacity of a coach and consultant for over 20 years, Mm -hmm. uh, does a lot of work with female leaders. And and actually um, Rhonda does a lot of work with female leaders of color and sort of helping them in their professional journey. We have Tracy Murphy, who just a fascinating and impressive person uh, really grew up in corporate America, rose through the ranks, and then, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, transitioned into nonprofit leadership and is really just one of the people that I look up to tremendously in terms of authentic leadership presence and owning how you show up. Um, So Mm. I cannot wait to see what she has to say or hear what she has to say about emotions at work. And then, of course, Marcel Brunel. Who has uh, also, um, you know, been doing coaching and consulting for a number of years yeah. with a variety of organizations. Most recently, though, and I think this is going to be an interesting I, perspective. I, I agree. Um, the majority of his work is working with police departments in in helping officers sort of cultivate that emotional intelligence and self awareness, and how do I, you know separate my emotional reaction from, from the intentional behavior that I'm going to bring to it. So that indeed will be uh, an interesting and valuable perspective. Emotions at work. That's Mm. Thursday afternoon. 
Thursday afternoon. Yes, sir. So a session that we'll be delivering, is that the right word? Sure. Yeah, we deliver a session. Deliver, facilitate is, again, <laughs> something that uh, we're fairly passionate about. And, and, you know, with a deeper way, a question that we ask regularly, because we think it's really important, which is, what's getting in the way? Yeah. It, it, it's right. We feel quite strongly in the data would support that it's not enough just to double down on the things that are easy <laughs> or the things that come naturally or the strengths, you know, that whole piece that, that works for a while. And that works in situations in which that's relevant. Um, but sometimes they're not working and to really, you know, examine what, what, what gets in the way. And we have an answer. We're not going to do. Yes. This is a teaser. Come to the conference. So (laughs) what's a, what's a practical framework that I can follow for myself in those moments when I am on the precipice self-protection, how can I break free from that thing that gets in my way? And, you know, we do that, that, that presentation that we'll be doing in that segment, um, you know, it's, it's kind, in many ways, it's sort of our thing that we, we incorporate that into almost everything we do. And I always set it up by saying, what I'm about to talk through is the single most, most important, important thing about being a leader, a teacher, a coach, an employee, a human. It just doesn't matter what your role is. That that framework and those skills that we talk about in that in that mindset piece, I'll say it. If you if you obsess about regularly focusing on it, it will absolutely make every situation better for you. Just will. Come check it out. Prove me wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So then Friday morning, we're going to have a wonderful breakfast uh, and breakfast discussion. I love with, breakfast. With one of our mentors, actually. Yes. Yes. Dr. Kurt Levang. One of the other things that you know we bring to organizations with a deeper way is this idea is that there's more to the story than <clears throat> we typically think about a personality. Yeah. Right? And few levels down into ourselves, we have needs, yeah. psychological needs. We call them psychological value in our assessment tools, but it's, you know, what are the things that as humans and then as me, as an individual, um, I'm looking for in my environment, usually right. unconsciously yep. Yep. to have that sense of groundedness, to feel yeah. like I have both feet, to feel like I'm okay. Yep. Right? Yep. And gosh, when we don't get them, that's when things often go awry. Mm. And let's just go there. I, sorry, I know I'm talking yes. a lot here, but I, <laughs> when we look at those five right. uh, operational behaviors of, of mm-hmm. toxic workplace culture, disrespectful, unethical, abusive, exclusionary, cutthroat, cut, all of those behaviors, all of those all of behaviors. Them happen in self-protection. Yes. 
And spoiler here, we're more likely to go into self-protection when our psychological needs are not met. Right. One thing too, that again, that I'm really looking forward to in this conversation is the tie that psychological needs have to all four of our dimensions. Yeah. And as we are born and grow up, we start to form notions of these psychological needs first through that physical dimension and getting those needs met on the physical level, right? As we grow up is such a key driver and key tie to later in life and to adulthood, how we get those needs met psychologically. And yeah. Dr. Levang is really an expert in talking about that connection in early childhood. And I am yeah. really curious to see and excited to see how our discussion kind of ends up because it shows up in the here and now as well in our adult brain. And, oh my gosh. And, and to your point, when, when, when we're in self-protection and those needs aren't being met, we experience it tremendously and deeply on a physical level. Yeah. It, and you've written about this in the workbook, Companion. Mm-hmm. But when, we're, when our body, when our HPA axis is screaming, protect yourself, protect yourself, that felt dimension is almost the perfect equivalent to feeling like our body's going to be terminated. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and it's in the separating of the psychological from the physical that we can understand that we're not actually going to die. Right. But the less we know about our needs, the less yeah. we know about the story of our psychological needs, the more it feels like that physical death is, is imminent. Well, and I tell you, you know, I, I can imagine there might be a few listeners, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but I've heard it a million times. So I'm going to, make a safe bet here who at this point are going, well, this is maybe getting a little too much for work. (laughs) And I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. That mindset is one of the contributing factors to why people are leaving. Right. Because we've got to understand the processes. The data what's going on is so overwhelmingly there. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm a firm believer in the data supports this too, that this will only, this is only moving in one direction. Yeah. Right? And I'm not referring to the, 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 the musical group, but the, the, the trajectory of what work needs to be like and what workplace cultures need to be like is only moving in a more human level. Yeah. Younger generations and younger generations and younger generations they're not going to put up with it. And, and they're, they're going to seek it from the organizations. That absolutely. So how can people experience humanity at work? The cool thing is you can come and join us at the Mall of America. In, in yes. Technically Bloomington, but Minneapolis. <laughs> May 18th through the 20th, of course. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not a full three days for folks who are, you know, maybe concerned about the time. Mm-hmm. It really starts at like four o'clock 
Wednesday. on that Wednesday, 4 p.m. for a couple hours Wednesday evening. We'll kind of get together yeah. and get on the same yeah. page. Full day Thursday. And then uh, Friday morning, uh, we'll, we'll be done at noon. So yeah, yeah nice, nice weekend for you there. Um, you can join us in person. But for those of you who maybe aren't up for traveling or being in person, you can also join us virtually. Um, so, so there's really both in-person and virtual options. We also have some scholarships available. Yeah, um, Scholarships are available only for the in-person experience. Um, and there's some, so if you want to check out on uh, a deeperway.com slash conference, a deeperway.com slash conference, you'll see a link on there to apply for the scholarship. It's really a very simple form. Um, like five, 10 minutes probably to complete it. We also have, and this is kind of cool too. If you are part of a team and you're like, Hey, you know, this would be something really good for my team to experience together. uh, We have some team discounts. Uh, And so again, if you just fill out the little form there and tell us a little bit about your team, how many people we'll get back to you right away uh, with uh, options for that. Not to mention, when you do register and come, you also get a copy of the A Deeper Way Companion. So your own, your own, four hundred page workbook with your results, your assessment results, all the stuff, which of course will be integral to the conference experience as well. So make sure to register. The registration deadline is fast approaching. A deeperway.com/slash/conference. Of course, we'll put that in the show notes. Tim, I think this concludes our special edition I think of it does. Psychology at Work podcast in which we do a yeah. little preview of the, humani- the first annual Humanity at Work Conference 2022. We are so looking forward to seeing you there, whether in person or virtually. And in the meantime, we'll talk to you. Drive safe. <laughs> <laughs>